We give the following article for the Gospel Advocate for the year 1870 by B. U. Watkins. Human Governments One of the signs of the great apostasy was the union of church and state. Its symbol was a woman upon the back of a seven-headed and ten-horned beast. It is almost uniformly admitted among American Protestants that this is a well-chosen symbol to represent the absurd and unnatural union of church and state. It is generally conceded that the woman represents the church and the beast the old Roman civil government. This being true, it would appear far more natural for her to be riding the beast than for him to have his locomotion promoted by the help of the woman. When the state comes forward and proffers its assistance, and the church voluntarily accepts of such help, it might be a question which would be the most to blame, the church for accepting or the state for offering such assistance. But when the church gives, unasked, her power to the beast, no excuse can reasonably be pleaded. If the state supporting the church is called an adulterous union, I am unable to see why the union is not equally intimate and criminal when the church supports the state by participating in all its responsibilities. When the church offers her fellowship and cooperation in framing all the laws of the land and in choosing its judicial and executive officers, when even her members refuse not to become legislators and are even forward to fill all the offices of human governments, I cannot see but the relation between church and state is as intimate as ever and just as illegal. Ezekiel chided the ancient Hebrews for seeking such union with the nations, and he compares Israel to a woman of the lowest infamy. It is exceedingly painful to me to see how aptly these symbols of John and Ezekiel apply to modern professors. But how greatly would I rejoice if the Reformation of the nineteenth century would arise and put on her beautiful garments and show herself to be the true spouse of Christ. May the good Lord grant that this noble brotherhood that I so dearly love may soon see the whole truth. But here I am met with the objection that these institutions are ordained of God, and he who resists them resists an ordinance of God and shall receive punishment. Let me here pause and remark that I would sooner be understood as taking the popular view of this passage rather than appear to countenance any kind of war. Nothing is further from my intention. But the fact of civil government being ordained of God is no proof of divine approbation. So long as it can be clearly shown that he has ordained that one sinner shall punish another, so long as we read in Isaiah that Cyrus was sent against Babylon, although he knew not God, so long we find it difficult to admit the application of the above passage to civil government, whether such be its meaning or not. To make the admission saves much time and leaves the argument much more compact. Something is gained and nothing lost by granting all we can to our opponents. That God can overrule sin without being responsible for its commission and without having any complicity with it is a thing so plain that to turn aside to explain it would almost be an insult to those for whom these columns are written. Let a hint suffice. Pharaoh was raised up by God for a certain purpose, although his behavior was far from being approved of God. With a few axioms I will close this article. Axiom first. 
No man has the right of making laws for his own government, for such a right would include the double absurdity of making him independent of God and responsible only to himself. Axiom second. A republican government is one in which power is thought to be delegated by the people to their rulers in their act of voting. Axiom third. But a man cannot delegate a power he himself does not possess. Hence, inference first, as man has no inherent legislative power, he cannot transfer it to another. Hence, inference second. Voting is therefore a deception and a sham. Making a deceiver of him who votes and a dupe of him who fancies himself the recipient of delegated power. B. U. Watkins, Main Prairie, Minnesota. We give the following extract from Tolbert Fanning, president of Franklin College, out of much that he wrote as indicating his position. Our Savior came to earth to subjugate bloody and deceitful men. When it was in his power to call to his aid more than twelve legions of angels, he quietly submitted to death rather than violate the rule of action that governed his life. The early Christians, it cannot be denied, followed the example of their master. They took joyfully the spoiling of their goods and submitted to death rather than employ the weapons of Satan for their protection. We are cheerful, however, to say that God has ordained means in the hands of violent men for the protection of the faithful from violence. But the wicked are the sword of the Lord. If our readers will admit the existence of a class of persons on earth who are truly spiritual, there need be no further controversy on the subject. All the powers of the world are created by violence and must necessarily be upheld by force. But the Lord established His kingdom by peaceable means, by love and kindness. Worldly governments are all under the prince of this world, and the government of Christians is administered by the prince of peace. These two characters of government are antipodal to each other. Spiritual government is to break in pieces and consume all of Satan's principalities. But the great work is not to be accomplished by violence, but by love. Christ was not of the world, neither were his disciples. And Christians in the nineteenth century should not be instruments in the hands of the devil to carry out his purposes. End of chapter 4 And the end of civil government, its origin, mission, and destiny, and the Christian's relation to it.